0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 20th day of the first month of 2023. It's my birthday week. I'm about to complete another trip around the sun and I'm here for it. I'm here to see all of it. And God knows there's a lot to see, right? If, uh, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's going to get bad again, right? What am I talking about? Uh, I have been talking about the fact that over the last, I don't know, I guess, just say, let's just take it as like, you know, the last part of December, And the first few, you know, couple of weeks of of the new year, we've been in the eye of the storm. And when I say storm, I, I, what I mean is a class five hurricane, right? We've seen with the Terra Luna, and then FTX fallout. You know, once the eye of the storm, you know, gets over us, and there's some daylight that we can see the the devastation that has occurred in, I don't know, crypto land, but even to Bitcoin itself, there's been taking some hits. We've been taking some serious hits. Nature, nature is a bitch. You know, the whole houses and buildings have been lifted up off their foundation and, and thrown down like a baby having a tantrum. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, throw that tantrum. We're not out of the woods yet. We're just in the eye of the storm. We've got a whole other half of this son of a bitch to weather, right? So if any guys out there are thinking that, you know, market forces are not part of nature, you're going to get a really rude awakening. You need to, you need to be sitting on dry powder. You need to wait and you need to watch. I always DCA into Bitcoin, but for those of you, who do not do that, who want to buy lump sums. If I were you, I would wait a little bit. Why? Well, Barry Silbert's Genesis has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Jesse Coughlin, gonna take us through it, Coin Telegraph. Cryptocurrency lender Genesis has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in, guess you guessed it, the Southern District of New York. The firm has estimated liabilities of $1 billion to $10 billion and assets in the same range according to the January 19th filing. Earlier reports claimed that the company had been considering filing for bankruptcy protection if it wasn't able to raise capital to stem its liquidity crisis. In a January 19th press release, Genesis said, It had been engaged in discussions with its advisors, quote, to its creditors and corporate parent digital currency group, or DCG, to evaluate the most effective path to preserve assets and move the business forward. Better put a tie on that suit speak. Quote, Genesis has now commenced a court-supervised restructuring process to further advance these discussions. Oh, you make bankruptcy sound good, like it was just, it's all peachy. The company's Chapter 11 plan sees it contemplating a, quote, dual-track process pursuing a sale, capital raise, and or an equitization transaction that would apparently enable the business to emerge under new ownership. Oh, Barry's stepping down, I guess. The derivatives, spot trading, broker-dealer, and custody businesses of Genesis are not part of the Chapter 11 proceedings and will continue operations according to the firm. It also claimed to have more than $150 million in cash on hand that it believes will provide ample liquidity to support its ongoing business operations and facilitate the restructuring process. Pausing to remind you that the liabilities here are anywhere between $1 billion to $10 billion. I'm sorry. 150 million dollars in cash is probably not going to help you maybe it will i think you know there's a, there's always the outside chance if everything falls into place but quite honestly 150 million against 1 billion is 15 percent right there five percent over your normal bail when you get arrested you have to put up ten percent of your bond or your bond is 10% of bail, right? So you get a bail for $100,000, you come up with $10,000, you don't have to sit in county jail anymore, right? These guys have at least $1 billion of liabilities and $150 million in cash. That's only 15% of bail, right? So, like I said, it's possible. I don't think, I, I just, I, I don't think this is going to go anywhere but south honestly. Continuing on, the restructuring process will be led by an independent special committee of the company's board of directors, and Genesis says the process is aimed at providing an optimal outcome for Genesis clients and Gemini Earn users. The firm suspended withdrawals from its platform back in November of last year amid market turbulence caused by the collapse of FTX. The move impacted users of Gemini Earn, a yield bearing product for users of the Gemini cryptocurrency exchange managed by Genesis. Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss tweeted the bankruptcy is a crucial step towards Gemini users being able to recover their assets, but claimed DCG and its CEO Barry Silbert continue to refuse to offer creditors a fair deal and threaten to file a lawsuit unless Barry and DCG come to their senses. Both Genesis and Gemini are facing charges from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission for allegedly offering unregistered securities through the EARN program. Fears are mounting over Genesis' parent company, DCG, as it may have to sell part of its $500 million venture capital portfolio to try to offset Genesis' liabilities. On January 17th, DCG halted dividend payments Read that again, so you get it. On January the 17th, DCG halted dividend payments in a move aimed at reducing operating expenses and preserving liquidity. The sale of its crypto media outlet Coindesk is also reportedly being weighed, which could net DCG $200 million. Uh, Anything else? No, that's okay. So that's where we're at right now. Genesis is filing... Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And apparently, you know, let's go back up here. Uh, re- the restructuring process will be led by an independent special committee of the company's board of directors. These are the same people. These, <laughs> these are the same people that made terrible decisions that put Genesis where it is today. And these same people are going to get them out? No, <laughs> no. This is a Terrible idea. What you want is an actual independent special committee of people, maybe from other boards of directors. You know, that's the way these things kind of work or they can work is you get somebody, hey, it's like, hey, man, look, we've got a board of directors. Uh, Clearly we're not doing well, you know, (laughs) know, chapter 11 and all that. Uh, Would you do us a favor? Would you sit on a special committee to help us restructure this thing uh, because you're a, a fresh set of eyes, and it would be it would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, in this industry, you're going to have people say, "Yes, why hasn't Barry done that?" I don't know, but I can guarantee goddamn to you this: this is not going to work for the for at now for at least two reasons. One, 150 million dollars ain't gonna do dick, All right? Two. The same people that made the decisions to put Genesis in this spot, chapter 11 bankruptcy, are the same people that are gonna get them out? No, it does not work that way. I'm sorry, Barry, but I, 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 the brush fire has caught. Your part of the forest is now burning down and it's gonna burn hot and it's gonna burn fast. Does it mean that we won't see DCG any, anymore or we won't see Genesis anymore? No, we probably will. So there's survivorship, kind of, but it's not going to be, it's just not going to be what it was. And I don't think it ever will be again. Somebody is immediately going to step in to fill that power vacuum. My guess is Binance. (laughs) Not that I'm a huge fan, but they're the ones that seem to be the best positioned player. And they seem to have made the best decisions again. I'm not a fan. I'm not rah-rahing. I'm just every time I look at Binance, I'm like, everybody else catches on fire. What flame retardant are you guys using? Because they're not on fire, not that we're aware of yet. Okay, I, I I'm not making any predictions. If I were to make a prediction, Binance wins. Binance comes out on top. I I don't know. Although, last thing to say about this, I hope they get rid of Coindesk. I cannot stand that publication any longer. And what I really hate is their website. Have you been to this thing? It's a mess. How the hell can you be backed by that much money and not be able to put together a proper website that visually makes sense? This thing is one of the, I mean, I liked their old website. It worked better. This thing? Oh, it's a garbage pile. Garbage piles aside, let's dig a little bit deeper into that whole Winkle, the whole Winklevi thing, right? Um, they're threatening to sue Barry Silbert and DCG. Andrew Asmakov from decrypt.co will tell us a little bit more with this one entitled Winklevoss Mole's Lawsuit Against Barry Silbert and the Digital Currency Group. Gemini. The cryptocurrency exchange, helmed by the Winklevoss, the Winklevoss twins, I call them the Winklevi, is planning to sue Digital Currency Group and its CEO, Barry Silbert, unless they offer a plan for repaying the $900 million loan Jim and I made to the now bankrupt Genesis Global. Quote, unless Barry and DCG can come to their census and make a fair offer to creditors, we will be filing a lawsuit against Barry and DCG Immediately. No, it actually says imminently. Gemini co-founder and president Cameron Winklevoss tweeted soon after the news of Genesis bankruptcies or Genesis's bankruptcy broke. Describing Genesis bankruptcy filing as, quote, a crucial step towards recovering the loan as the firm will be subject to judicial oversight and will be required to provide discovery into the machinations that brought us to this point. Winklevoss also stressed that, quote, the decision to put Genesis into bankruptcy does not insulate Barry, DCG, or any other wrongdoers from accountability. Oh my God, it sounds like George Bush, huh? The evil doers. Oh, Genesis, a subsidiary of DCG, was the industry's first firm to launch an over-the-counter Bitcoin trading desk in 2013, but filed for bankruptcy protection late Thursday after suffering losses, From the collapse of FTX and hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. Last summer, Genesis was named the biggest creditor to 3AC, that's Three Arrows Capital, passing the Singapore based firm $2.36 billion in an under collateralized loan. Now, the board of directors. Has to do shit like that. That they're the people that make those decisions. These guys are the independent counsel that's going to get them out of it. Because remember what I was saying? This, I don't understand it. I don't get it. You reach for complete outsider. I'm not going to belabor it again. Gemini and Genesis. Genesis had partnered on Gemini Earn, the beleaguered program that was sold to investors as a chance to earn as much as 7.4% interest, yay, on their cryptocurrency holdings. By November 2022, the first signs of potential troubles began to show as Gemini warned the program's customers of potential issues with withdrawals, with Genesis announcing the freeze of client withdrawals on the very same damn day. Gemini Earn was eventually terminated on January the 11th with the exchange saying the move was intended to force Genesis to pay back the $900 million it owes Gemini clients. Last week, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission announced charges against both Gemini and Genesis, saying that the two firms raised billions of dollars worth of crypto from investors in Gemini Earn and alleging it was an unregistered offering that qualifies as the sales of securities to retail investors. Gemini, meanwhile, went on to accuse both the crypto broker and its parent firm of committing fraud, urging DCG CEO Barry Silbert to step down, saying there is no path forward as long as Barry Silbert remains at the helm of the conglomerate and that he has proven himself unfit to run the business. In response to those allegations, DCG said the statement was another desperate and unconstructive publicity stunt and that the company was preserving all legal remedies in response to these malicious, fake, and defamatory attacks. Ooh, yay, a countersuit. Despite the public spat, DCG insisted that the firm would continue to engage in productive dialogue with Genesis and its creditors with the goal of arriving at a solution that works for all parties. Yeah, that's not going to happen. The chances of any of these people getting their money back is slim to none. How do I know this? Because it's always like this. Can somebody, you know, give me an example of anything that's happened in this space with a bankruptcy or a hack? Except for Binance. Binance got hacked and they made their their customers whole. So there is at least that one example. But for the rest of it, I'm it it's always that the people never get what they put in. And which is why I don't put anything into any of these products. And neither should you. And if you're in them and you can, you need to get out. You know, I mean, it's I put myself in a bind when I say that because it's it's it can be considered financial advice, but I've never been wrong about not loaning against your Bitcoin. When I tell people don't take a loan out against your Bitcoin, I'm always right. When I say don't go to, you know, when, when BitMEX was still doing that 100x leverage, you know, play. And I was telling people way back in the day, before they stopped doing that, I begged people to not do that because they were going to get wrecked. And people got wrecked. I was right. Right? I, I, it's not that I'm brilliant. I'm not. And it's not that I'm some kind of oracle. I'm not. If you look at the world with as clear of a set of eyes as you can, without the filters of hope, fear, greed, or anything like that, then you can make the proper call. But it's really hard to get rid of those filters, isn't it? Everybody wants to hope that Bitcoin hits a million dollars at the end of the year. It won't. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, Everybody is so greedy that they want the next shit coin to make them a thousand X because this time they'll put it, they'll go all in and then they do. And then they get wrecked. Those are the filters that we have to expunge from before our eyes. If we are to see the truth and by seeing the truth, you can see the future. It's not hard. The only hard part is getting rid of the filters. It's like kicking a bad habit. I've got several of them. Ask me how I know. Be that as it may, we're not done yet. Bybit CEO offers clarity on exposure to Genesis, but the community demands more. Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. Genesis Global Trading, a prominent crypto lender, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in New York on January the 20th, becoming the latest company to declare bankruptcy in the wake of FTX's collapse. However, the focus on the crypto community has shifted. Toward other firms that had exposure to the lending firm. Can you say contagion? I can. Contagion. One report suggested that a total of nine, count them nine crypto firms had exposure to Genesis, including Gemini, Bybit, Van Eck, Decentraland, and others. Bybit CEO Ben Zhao was quick to respond to the reports and clarified that Bybit indeed had $150 million of exposure to the bankrupt crypto lender via its investment arm, Marana. Pausing to remind you that uh, Genesis has $150 million in the bank. I'm not saying it's the same money. I'm just saying that when you add all the liabilities up, that $150 million in cash, it's going to burn in a day. Zhao noted that Marana only managed a portion of Bybit's assets, and the reported $151 million exposure has about 120 million of collateralized positions, which Marana had already liquidated. He also assured client funds are separated, and Bybit's earn products don't use Marana. Oh, so they've got an earn program too. Uh, when's the when is a uh, Gary Gensler going to get all over this one. While many appreciated the quick clarification from the co-founder, many others had more questions regarding that clarification, especially about the company's earn products. One user demanded full disclosure about the earned products and how yields are generated. Another user questioned their relationship with Marana, asking whether they are operating on a similar strategy to FTX and Alameda. Others were puzzled by the timing of the revelation given Genesis well-known troubles. Some of its biggest lenders, such as Gemini, have been actively demanding action against Genesis parent company, the Digital Currency Group. One user wrote, quote, tweeting full disclosure only when caught with your pants down automatically refutes your claim. If this was full disclosure, Bybit would have said it months ago, end quote. Many others demanded proof of transactions between Bybit and Marina for assurance while reminding Zao that similar statements have been made in the past by FTX executives. Cointelegraph reached out to Bybit to get some clarity on its EARN program and raise some of the community questions, but received no response by the time of publication. Okay, now let's do this one. Let's go back up here. Um, one user demanded full disclosure about the EARN products. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Gary is going to come after Bybit too. This doesn't end. The, the, I hate, I don't like the fact that I'm kind of on Gary Gensler's side, but right now, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't like regulation, but I also don't like bad actors. And this space, it's like, I, I described it thusly on Noster yesterday. I said, that the basement of this quote-unquote industry is clearly the receptacle for 100 million porta-potties set atop it. This is a basement filled with shit. It's filthy. And the best way to get rid of filth is a very hot fire. And it's burning down right now. We are entering the eye wall of the hurricane, and we're going to go through it again hold on to your britches. Don't do anything stupid, okay? Take off all the filters, especially the filter of fear. Go do something else. Spring is coming. Get ready to plant your garden. Do anything other than worry about this crap. Let it burn down. Do not build your house in the forest when it's on fire. Just stand back, when the smoke clears, you'll know when it's time to go and see what's left and what you can build out of that. And I guarantee you, there's always something to build after a fire. Unless you're Jamie Dimon, who still has absolutely no conception how any of this shit works. Jamie Dimon thinks that the Bitcoin supply won't really be capped at $21 million. Or God, I, I am sorry. Wow. Wow. Man, that fiat mind just... Okay, breaking right through. Jamie Dimon thinks Bitcoin supply won't really be capped at 21 million. Andrew Thavalis for Decrypt.co. JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, remains a, a skeptic of almost everything Bitcoin, including the, the idea that its total supply is limited to 21 million coin. Quote, how do you know it's going to stop at 21 million? Oh, for... Are you... How do you know that two plus two equals four? Because it's math. Say it with me. How do we know? Because math. How do you know it's going to stop at 21 million? He asked while discussing crypto with CNBC's Squawk Box on Thursday. Quote, maybe it's going to get to 21 million and Satoshi's picture is going to come up and laugh at you all. Okay, so he doesn't know, he thinks that this is somewhere buried in the code. He literally thinks that somewhere buried in the Bitcoin code that everybody runs for a Bitcoin full node, is that somehow or another, nobody saw the line that says when 21 million or when BTC circulating supply, whatever that variable is, equals 21 million, then... Satoshi.gif. Do you see? This is the CEO of J.P. Morgan. This is Jamie Dimon. And he's talking like a guy that's half drunk at a bar about something he knows nothing about. This is the, the corporate titan. This is what people bow down to, to become like? This is why people go to business school so that they can go work for this SLEE stack? I, I don't get it. Uh, laugh at you all. This isn't the first time he's questioned Bitcoin's holy number, a defining feature frequently highlighted by the asset's biggest boosters. Theoretically, an absolute supply cap would give Bitcoin greater scarcity than any government issued currency on earth, empowering it as a store of value. Quote, You all read the algorithms. You guys all believe that. I don't know. I've always been a skeptic of stuff like that, he said at an Institute for International Finance event last October. Many have, in fact, read Bitcoin's algorithms which are open source and freely viewable by the entire world. As pointed out by Jameson Lopp, co-founder of the Bitcoin wallet company Casa, Bitcoin supply cap is implicitly enforced by just five lines of code. To be precise, Bitcoin is programmed to cut its supply issuance rate in half every 210,000 blocks, which is roughly every four years. Whereas 50 new Bitcoin were issued per block back in 2009, Only 6.25 BTC come attached to each block today. These events, called halvings, are programmed to occur just 33 times, after which Bitcoin's block reward will be cut to zero. This should occur by the year 2141, somewhere around there, assuming nothing changes before that time, Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. told Decrypt. After 10 halvings, rounding errors begin to truncate, he specified, referring to the problem of block rewards being unable to divide past Satoshis by the year 2049. So if more precision is hard forked in, and it would have to be, ideally it should be done by 2049. The math behind these halvings works out such that Bitcoin supply cannot touch or surpass 21 million. That said, anything enforced by code can technically be changed as long as users consent to it. Many argue that the Bitcoin community will be forced to upgrade its software to produce more than 21 million coin in order to provide consistent funds to support the mining industry. Uh While Bitcoin supply is limited, it is still infinitely divisible. That's not exactly true. Tiny bits of the currency could still be used for small transactions, even if its price were to enter the seven-figure range. Okay, so... The truncation error, I want to talk about that because I've made this mistake uh, early on in my Bitcoin journey about what Bitcoin really is and what Bitcoin really is, a Bitcoin. What a Bitcoin really, you got list, pretend you got one Bitcoin. You don't. What you have is 100 million units of something we refer to as sats or satoshis. It's arbitrary. It's an arbitrary number that it's 100,000 that makes one Bitcoin. I get the notion that if anything gets dropped, it's the notion of Bitcoin. And we just think in terms of, I have 100 million Satoshis. Now, I'm just going to put that aside. That may happen, may not happen. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect Bitcoin one whit, either way. But, the truncation error that Luke Dash Jr. is talking about is that after 10 halvings, you get to where you're not producing 100, you know, like, or like, let's see, you're not producing whole units of Satoshi anymore, right? So you're now producing like one Satoshi. And then another halving, you're producing 0.5. That doesn't exist in Bitcoin's code on the main chain. Understand that. M- what I said, w- how I got this wrong is I was looking at one Bitcoin as one Bitcoin and that it had like 1.0000000 000 000 000. and it had like, I don't know, nine decimal places of zeros that are placeholders. And that if I wanted half a Bitcoin, that it was a decimal place. That's not true. There's no decimal places anywhere in bitcoin further than just a demonstration of how we see it. But as far as the code is concerned, there's no what's called a floating point operation. A floating point operation is what you need to be able to get, quote unquote, precision. That's what Luke Dash Jr. is referring to. It doesn't exist in the code because every time 6.25 Bitcoin are created, what's really being created is, what, 625 million Satoshi, if I got my math right. Those are whole units and you don't need a decimal precision place. But after a while, you get to the point where the halvings might, well, will start needing half a Satoshi. And that's impossible for the code right now. It would have to be like Luke Dash Jr. says, it would have to be a hard fork to get code into the code base for Bitcoin that would do that. And that brings me to another point. The notion that 21 million cap can be somehow or another expanded is technically true. Is it socially viable? My answer to this latter is no, it's not. Peter Zeihan went off on Joe Rogan talking about or demonstrating his complete lack of understanding of how Bitcoin actually works by basically saying the same thing. That one day we're just, somebody's just, some dude, he said literally some dude is going to pop up and just print those coins out of thin air. Oh my God, right? No. Okay. Um, all that can really be done. There's two paths to expansion of the number of coins in Bitcoin. One is to hard fork Bitcoin and basically reset its cap to some other number. It automatically is not Bitcoin. I will never support that software. I will teach my children to never support that software. We will know what software to hand down to our children. I still think about this a lot. So how, how do I think about succession? I know a lot about Bitcoin. How do I get my thirteen-year-old daughter to understand which code to run after I'm dead? This is a serious question. You should ponder it yourselves. So, the hard fork or hard getting getting a fork into Bitcoin uh, or uh, forking Bitcoin and setting its cap. Well, welcome to shitcoin land. We've already been there. We've already done that. Not viable. The other way is to get all. Of the people that will write code for Bitcoin to agree that they will write that code. And then all the guys with commit access to the code says yes. Chances of that, with the group of people that we have right now, infinitesimally small chances of that ever happening. If it did, I will not support that code. I will support the legacy code. And I guarantee you a whole crop of people will pop up and they'll say, no, we're going to support the legacy code too. And then there will be a major shift. And that will be something that the if the mainstream media is still around, if that were to ever happen, the, see, Bitcoin's dead. It'll be another Bitcoin obituary. I don't think it's going to happen. Socially, it's unviable. There's Because there's no centralized command and control situation, to tell us how to think about this. And we talk about it amongst ourselves in a peer-to-peer fashion. And I'm not talking about just Bitcoin transactions. I'm talking about talking to each other on God forbid, Twitter or Noster or uh, the Fediverse or anything like that. As we communicate with each other, I have yet to find somebody that's not being excoriated. Every time they even modestly suggest that there should be a, a increase in the amount of Bitcoin available in the future. I don't see that changing anytime soon, but we must be vigilant, vigilant now and instill that to the younger people that we teach and to our children, how important and why it's important. We need to give the world its ethics back because it's been burned away. Now, Last thing before I get into uh, the numbers is good news. BTC Casey has this one for Bitcoin Magazine. OKCoin and Paradigm announce a new grant awarded to Bitcoin Core maintainer, Marco Falke. Um, Before I begin this, possible pain point, developers that don't uh, think about this. Developers that don't go in for the increasing 21 million uh, supply cap on Bitcoin, get no grants in the future. That's a pain point. You need to look at that. All of us need to look at that. Because we may not be able to put the screws directly to the developer, but we can put to the, the screws to the people that support the developers. This is an ecosystem, and this is the way ecosystems work. It's not just one thing walking around in the forest. It's everything about the forest and what that thing touches and what nourishes that thing. And each one of these can be a potential pain point. Continuing, cryptocurrency exchange, OKCoin, alongside partner investment firm, Paradigm, has announced a new set of funding for Bitcoin core contribution. The funds will be directed into a grant for core maintainer, Marco Falky, who OKCoin has supported in the past, in 2021 and in 2020. Okay, Coin has previously provided support for Lightning developer Antoine Riard in a bid to support the second layer network's privacy. Quote, "Falky is one of six people in the world with the ability to approve or deny proposed changes to the code underlying the world's biggest cryptocurrency," the announcement explains. Pausing to see if you picked that up. One of six people. Okay. I'm not I'm not trashing it. I'm just saying When I see a pain point or a potential weakness, I'm going to call it out. How do I fix it? I don't know. Go ask Jameson Lopp at this point, but I am thinking about it. As a Bitcoin core maintainer, he reviews proposed additions to the network's code from, from contributors, of which there are over 400 currently active. The grant from OKCoin okay and Paradigm is to provide Falky with a livable income while he devotes 40-plus hours a week to Bitcoin core development, a job without a salary given Bitcoin's decentralized structure, end quote. Paradigm co-founder Matt Huang addressed this saying that Paradigm believes it's our responsibility to help fund independent Bitcoin research and development. We're pleased to provide a grant to Marco who continues to move the network forward with his work. This particular contribution brings OKCoin's total contributions to Bitcoin development funding to $1.5 million US. This respect respect wait this respectable offering to the Bitcoin network would ideally be replicated by other firms in the industry in order to support development of the technology that allows for their existence. Okay. So again, one of six people, these these are the guys with what's called GitHub commit access. That means if somebody does a pull request on the code and says, Hey, I, I, I've copied the code and I've made a couple of changes. Uh, here's the pull request. Will you review the changes that I am proposing in the pull request and hopefully say, yes, we love it. We're going to put it into the code and, 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 and make a new set of binaries and, and, and release the code to the world and all that kind of stuff. Um, six people, that's all that one. There's something about that, that kind of bugs me because these are the guys that holds, they hold the keys to the kingdom and they're human beings, which means that they're fallible. They can get greedy. They can get compromised. Like most of the individuals, like the richest, the rich class, the super wealthy class, I get the feeling that they're that way because they're all compromised. They're given money in return to push an agenda that they themselves may or may not believe. And in return, not only will they get oodles of cash, but diddling the little kid on Epstein's plane will not be released to the public. And if you ever stray from that narrative, it will and your life will be destroyed. We need to be able to be better than that. Let's say you did get compromised in the worst possible fucking way. What actually would happen if you stood up and said before anybody released any photographs and said, I did it. This is what I did. This is the day it occurred. This is what I was thinking and lay it all out to the public. What would actually happen? Are these people really scared what are they scared of? I, this is, an, this, I've been pondering this ever since I finally opened my eyes and figured out what the hell was going on. But people are people and compromises do occur. What if all six commit guys are compromised? How do we guard against that? In my, in my way, it's simple. I will never run your fucking code if it has anything more than 21 million Bitcoin. And the rest of the rules that we use to make sure that a transaction is valid, same thing. I will never run anything outside of consensus code. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures in commodities. We've got West Texas Intermediate up 1.39% to $81.45 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up one and a third itself to $87.32 a barrel. Natural gas up a mere half point to $3.29 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up two and a half to $2.66 a gallon. Shiny Metal Rock's having an okay day. <clears throat> Gold is up 0.15% to uh, $1,926.8, or 80 cents, I guess. Uh, silver is up 0.25% to $23.93. Platinum up 0.6, copper up 0.4, but Palladium is losing its ass, 2.29% to the downside. Ag is mixed. Cotton, the biggest winner, 311 to the upside, biggest loser today is gonna to be soybean down a little over half a point. Dow up a third of a point, S&P up 0.9, NASDAQ up 1.64, S&P mini up three quarters of a point. Real money coming in at $21,348.74. Uh, 309,000 transactions made in the last 24 hours is about 13,000 transactions every hour on the hour. And we've had 366,000 BTC change hands in that period. That's 15,286 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.18 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.017 BTC or a scant $371.75. Block times are high. huh? We lost some hash power, I guess. Uh, Or a difficulty adjustment. Uh, 10 minutes and 31 seconds per block. And on rewards, miners are receiving 0.13 BTC in fees on a per block basis and 18.38 BTC overall in the last 24 hours. And the hash rate has indeed decreased by 7.62%. We are at 257.8 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator holding at 8.2 United States pennies. That's the Doge coin. Uh, transactions: we have 3,000 of them waiting on two blocks to clear. Got a 411.7 billion dollar market cap. That's 3.23 percent of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you can get 11.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are. of and 5,223.27 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $111.6 million being run over 16,018 nodes sporting 75,711 payment channels and 68.5% of all that shit's being run over Tor and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start off with Boostergrams. Bubba, my friend Bubba, 30,000 sats. Man, he's been high rolling with me lately, I and I appreciate it, Bubba. Uh, hope your wife is uh, continuing her truck driving education. I still think that's cool as shit. He says, uh, get well, Mrs. Dunya. We need David, and he needs you. <laughs> Wait a minute. May, oh, hold on. Nope, nope. I'm sorry. I looked at the wrong damn thing. I need to make sure of my episodes. That was from, that was from pre-Christmas. Let's do episode 658, which indeed was yesterday's show, or the day before yesterday, having problems. Lumberjack Hoddle, 6,900 sat, says, best closing statements I've heard in a very long time. I have to say, I nearly teared up listening to the amount of emotion and passion you have for soil, permaculture, and Bitcoin, You're a hell of a good guy, and I'm thankful to know you on a first-name basis, sir. Eh, Not as uh, honored as I am to know that there are people out in the middle of a forest without a whole lot of, you know, not like you can just walk down to the bar. Hell, you can't even walk down the street. You're good to not break your ankle from all the slash in the middle of the night to get up and go take a piss. You know, that, I mean, that's roughing it, guys. <laughs> and in the middle of summer, you want to talk about some, it's, I mean, it's insane work. Logging is insane work anywhere, right? Any time of year, but by God almighty, these guys, if I have guys like this, listening to a guy like me, who's never done work like that, then there's hope for the world. I'm telling you, man, Vake. Holy shit. Vake 2000 Sats says fire, fire. Nice. I've never had Vake, uh, donate to the show. Thanks, Vake. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Mr. Man 1000 Satoshis. Do you ever go on other podcasts? I have, I used to actually do quite a bit of, um, Oh, um, Oh, I can't re- uh, Adam. Oh God, not Adam Sandler. Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, other Bitcoiner, Adam, ah, I can't remember his name and that's embarrassing. But ever since I got kicked off of Twitter the first time with the B-E-N-N-D-7-7 account, almost all, I stopped getting almost all requests for, for going on to Adam's podcast and a couple of others, right? Why? They cut off my, they they, they de-platformed me. I'm not hurting, I'm not hurting. I haven't been on any in a while. Um but I have I have done them. I think the last one I did was um over with um uh, oh god, yellow. Was it the the Meme Factory? Yeah, Meme Factory. Uh, was the last one I did with them, and that was when I was still living in in Canyon. And the only reason that they were able to get a hold of me at all was because the, these people were are the most solid memesters and Bitcoiners ever. And it's kind of like the taco pleb and meme pleb group. And once you announce to the group that you've been banned and here's your new account, they almost automatically follow you. They, they do what they can to help you out. But with Twitter on fire, the way it's been over the last year and a half, I'm not even going to try to get back on that platform. So, yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot less. I'm going to be invited on a lot less podcast. Uh, oh, let's see. Frolic Ford, 210 sat says, honestly, all caps. Nick underscore does says cheers with 169 sats. Thank you both. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Let's see what the hell's going on. Uh, oh, oh, oh my God. Hold on to your ass. FTX token, FTT, pumps 32% after the new CEO says that the exchange could be revived. Are you ready for zombie FTX? (laughs) I swear, I can't believe this industry is free. It, it, It provides me with so much entertainment. Let's find out how much entertainment we can pack into this one from Decrypt, written by Kate Irwin. The token issued by the bankrupt FTX Crypto Exchange has jumped 32% in a day after its new CEO, John J. Ray III, reiterated that he's mulling over the idea of restarting the struggling exchange formerly held by Sam Bankman fried. Ray said on Thursday that he is still trying to uncover and retrieve FTX assets and has tasked a group with exploring the possibility of restarting the international arm of the exchange, the Wall Street Journal reported. Quote, there are stakeholders that we're working with who've identified what they see is a viable business, Ray said, of course, that's what they see. They want the scam to continue. I'll get into my thoughts on that later. But this isn't the first time It's been said that FTX could be getting a reboot. Just last week, FTX's creditor committee attorneys said releasing the names of the exchange's 9 million customers could damage a potential reboot. FTX collapsed in November following a bank run on the exchange that forced the company to admit it didn't hold one-to-one reserves of customer assets. Oh, I'm shocked! I'm shocked and appalled the whole meant that the exchange couldn't meet customer demands for withdrawals. FTX eventually froze withdrawals and filed for bankruptcy. U.S. prosecutors have since charged Bankman fried with eight, count them eight, financial crimes related to the collapse of FTX. The former CEO is now under house arrest at mommy and daddy's and awaits a trial scheduled for October. FTT's rise today to roughly $2.37 is a substantial 165% increase from its all time low of 82 cents on December the 30th, according to CoinGecko data. Despite FTX's complete collapse, the token has never quite reached zero. FTX issued FTT tokens and sold them as a way for traders on its exchange to earn discounts on fees, not unlike Binance's BNB token. FTX also used FTT tokens to acquire assets and firms it wanted, such as the now extinct firm Blockfolio. Man, how shit changes. Which FTX paid for nearly entirely FTT tokens that the company itself issued. I would love to be able to pull out my wallet, magically create money, and then go buy cheeseburgers with it. That's what they were doing. (laughs) The FTT token has no real value, right? And they just printed it and then they bought Blockfolio. Amazing, amazing how this works. While it's unclear why traders are still, geez, you don't know, I'll get to it. While it's unclear why traders are still buying and selling a token for a defunct exchange, it's possible that, or while it's unclear, do do it again. This is my fault. I'm sorry. I, I I shouldn't be. I should be more professional. While it's unclear why traders are still buying and selling a token for a defunct exchange, it's possible that traders see an opportunity to profit from the token's wild volatility. It's also likely that some are speculating on the possibility that FTT could, could could regain its utility on the FTX exchange in the future. It's a zombie coin for a zombie exchange and the reason people are trading it is because they're degenerate gamblers. That's the reason. And that's always been the reason for all these altcoins that you we swore to god were dead, but they still never quite go to zero. Except Unless you're Jamie Diamond, in which case the only one that will go to zero is Bitcoin, right? That's the one that will actually hit zero. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're talking about the, 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 Why are they doing it because they're degenerate gamblers? Why would you buy a, a board ape yacht club nft because you're a degenerate gambler i it's it's this is not hard. It is not rocket science it's not brain surgery it's not even. I don't know, reattaching somebody's limb or being a thoracic surgeon. This is not hard. Degeneracy exists as part of the human condition. It's always there. It's the impetus is always upon us to not be degenerate. And it's not that it's easy to not be degenerate, but it's doable. I don't gamble. I'd rather put $5 bill in in a, in a, paper bag, soaking in gas, light it on fire and throw it out the window before I would give Caesar's Palace one stinking dime of my money. I'm not, if you enjoy gambling, fine. I, it's not, I don't like you any less. I don't love you anymore, but I won't do it myself. My wife had me go out and buy a lottery ticket the other day and I felt fucking sick. And I'll do it for her again because she's my wife, but I'll, I'm like... I don't see the point gambling is a bad, it's a bad habit. It's worse than heroin. Sometimes at least with heroin, you've got a reason that you're making terrible decisions because you're under the influence of heroin. But when you're stone cold sober and can walk in with a couple of thousand dollars and lose it all and be fine with it, or God forbid, go further and start, you know, want to get it back and start raiding your kid's college fund or something. Man, you got no excuse. You're clear-headed. Right. Stay away from gambling. Stay away from leverage. Don't do it. All the people who have done it are in the process of being burned. They're at the stake like a witch, and they're all on fire, and they're all screaming. Don't be one of them. Now, oh, let's... Hold on for a sec. I want to get back into... Okay, so... FTX, the possibility of it coming back as a zombie company. Um, I don't do business with it. I, I, and it's not because it's, it's not because it's a reputation thing. It's a, what's in it for the people that want to resurrect it? What are their motives? Do you know? Because if you don't know what their motives are. And you have to know what they actually are. Not what they say they are. What they say they are, anybody's guess is whether or not they're lying. And I don't don't trust a great many people any longer. Um, Look, what are the incentives? You have to look at who has the most to gain on FTX coming back from the dead like a zombie. And who are those people What are they going to do? What are their intentions after that? Honestly, I wouldn't waste my time. Just run away. And FTT, a zombie coin on a zombie token, what could possibly go wrong? They're just putting more fuel. The forest, forest, their part of the forest has burnt to the ground. And what are they doing? They're calling in the dump trucks to get all the slash from my lumberjack friend's team of, you know, woodcutters, and they're dumping it on the still smoldering ash because nobody learns their lesson because it's the same reason why they're still trading FTT, human degeneracy. Breaking away from that, dear Normie, dear Normie, don't buy Bitcoin. Probably really good advice. This is from Bitcoin Magazine. It's written by Tim Niemeyer. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he starts off. As you might've learned from watching the mainstream news, the Bitcoin price has been pumping as of late. If you bought the top and held until now, you may consider taking advice from good old Mr. Goldschild himself, Peter Schiff, and use this opportunity to sell. If you're someone who missed the boat, though you may reasonably wait for confirmation and buy closer to $70,000. For those thinking to make a quick buck, You might hop on for a ride just to try and cash out near the next all-time high. If you're a communist who doesn't believe we need non-coercive ways to coordinate human action, well, then I can't help you. Whether your story or specific situation is, whatever it is, one thing is clear. Buying Bitcoin is not going to help you. Yeah, you read that right. The physical act of trading one monetary good for another does next to nothing for you. Sure, you might make a few dollars in the short term, save for as much as 37% on short-term gains taxes. You may even get a girlfriend, pay for the next late vacation, Lambo, ah, why not? But none of that matters because the ultimate value of Bitcoin is not merely quantitative, but qualitative. And to get the qualitative benefits, you'll need to prove that you've done some work. Proof of work, quote, the day you plant the seed, is not the day you eat the fruit." End quote. I might add to that before I go on, another quote that's like that, that makes a lot of sense here, is that blessed is the man who plants a tree, whose shade he knows he will never enjoy. That's how trees get planted. Just saying. The gift of Bitcoin lies in the unfathomable, unfathomable unlocking of understanding, God, that's a lot of use, that you receive from putting in the time and effort to study it. The bad news is there's so many different rabbit holes down which to go. You could spend months to years learning about any of the following cryptography, computer science, distributed systems, open source software, network effects, game theory, economics, monetary theory, 11th grade math, energy production, geopolitics, history, human rights, philosophy, human physiology, and psychology, personal responsibility, just to name a few. (sighs) The good news is, is that there's so many rabbit holes down which to go. I've been studying Bitcoin since 2018, and I've yet to even come close to exhausting the depth and breadth that Bitcoin offers. On top of that, the wisdom derived is rooted in reason and logic. It acts as an anchor in a world where reality is constantly and increasingly manipulated. Initially, it's hard to grapple with the fact that you've grown accustomed to living with a relatively short-term mindset, as we all have at some point in our lives. This short-term mindset is what Bitcoin is referred to as high time preference. It might take some time, but understanding how the money we choose changes individuals' incentive structures is the first step to understanding why Bitcoin is the best form of money. Inflationary fiat incentivizes its users to make decisions based on the need of the present, while disinflationary Bitcoin incentivizes its users to plan for the future while deprioritizing present consumption. It took me years of intense study to get to a point where I could articulate that point and truly grasp its effects on society. Don't expect to get there in one conversation, article, or podcast. this knowledge can only be spoon-fed so much. You have to build a proof-of-work mindset. Unfortunately, many of your friends think they already know what they don't know. Wikipedia states that the Dunninger-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias, whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a certain type of task or area of knowledge, tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. One main reason that most normies won't take the time and effort to do their own research is because of hubris. The most recent and obvious example in this regard to Bitcoin came during Joe Rogan's recent interview with geopolitical strategist, not an economist, a geopolitical strategist and speaker and New York Times bestselling author, Peter Zeihan or Han, while the guy is seemingly intelligent and well-versed on much of what he writes and speaks about, he completely exposed his utter lack of knowledge and understanding of Bitcoin in less than a three-minute time span for a great breakdown of how epically wrong he was about Bitcoin. Listen to Guy Swan's brilliant Bitcoin Audible podcast. Yeah, it's one of his, uh, Guy Swan did a podcast on this. He did a, a full guy's take on one minute and 58 seconds of Peter Zihan talking one, one minute and 58 seconds. Sorry. I thought I heard something. i god, I'm, I'm distracted again. It's like, Oh, shiny. Oh, look over there. Um, one minute and 58 seconds. And he made like a, seven statements, said seven sentences or something like that in that one minute and 58 seconds. And all of it was wrong. And it's one of Guy's last episodes. So if you go to uh, Bitcoin Audible and look through guys like most recent episodes, you'll see it. I just don't know the episode number. Continuing. The point here is not to beat up on Zeehan too much. The point is that we are all human and are able to easily make incorrect assumptions based on misconceptions and ignorance. To approach Bitcoin, you must begin with a level of humility and intellectual honesty. Unfortunately, too many of us will outsource this to, quote, trusted media sources filled with people who have yet to do that work themselves. This is a core concept with Bitcoin. Don't trust, verify. If you choose to trust those who show bravado, but are void of any depth of knowledge, you'll end up sharing their same misconceptions. You have to do the work yourself and come to your own conclusion. It takes Time. Indeed, it takes time. The physical act of purchasing Bitcoin is not the pinnacle of virtue. If you want to capture the entire value that Bitcoin offers, you need to show the mental proof of work required to comprehend at least a fraction of what this invention can do. Most of your normie friends won't though. Many will continue believing that the solution to life's ills can be solved through subjugating their will to an equally flawed human whether they be red or blue. Others will go back to their bread and circuses. Most will just lose focus in order to support the next thing. Everyone will have their reasons and justifications. Some of your friends will even become salty haters or remain intellectually dishonest. You, on the other hand, you, on the other hand, have the opportunity to expand and grow, to see outside of yourself. Lower your time preference. Face your Twitter addiction. Turn off your television. Get anchored in reality. Don't listen to any cocky DKs. Read a book. Listen to an audiobook. Download a podcast. Ask questions. Attend a local meetup. Prove your work. Take the orange pill. Do your own research. I humbly implore you don't buy Bitcoin. Just learn about it. It's an interesting take. You know, that first paragraph basically puts him on a path to getting lambasted by the entire Bitcoin crowd, but he's absolutely correct. You buy Bitcoin at the price you deserve it. And by deserve, we never have ever meant that in a negative way. It's simply a statement of fact. You buy Bitcoin when you deserve it, at the price you deserve. You got to work to deserve that. I've been doing this since 2015 and I had the same misconceptions as anybody else under the sun. I've probably had worse misconceptions than most. I wrote it. I wrote Bitcoin off when I heard about it in 2011. I mean, that was early. I could have, dude, I could have already had a huge ranch by now with an ass load of money to pay any amount of salaries that I needed to get the shit done that I don't know how to do on a ranch. I figure a salary for five people would have gotten me on a really good start. Of course, then again, I probably would have lost it all in Mt. Gox, but the point is that in 2011, I looked at it and what did I call it? Just another video game currency. I seen them before. I saw them all the way through until 2015. And when I finally got slapped in the face enough, and I just wanted people to shut up about it, I bought my first Bitcoin on Coinbase. And it wasn't until I made that, and I go, okay, I have it, what do I do with it? Then, within minutes of it confirming, and, and I could see it in my my Coinbase wallet, because I wasn't even thinking about cold storage at this point, I turned around and I cut a quarter of that Bitcoin at the, or no, 0.2 Bitcoin, or uh, what would that be? 20, yeah, 20 million million Satoshis. Yeah, 20 million Satoshis. And I sent it to Jack Spirico at the Survival Podcast. At the time, it was worth $50. I I sent a fifth of a Bitcoin for a year subscription to his show to show my support for him. It's the most expensive subscription I've ever bought, but my, concep- my misconceptions were clear. Peter Zeihan has serious misconceptions about this because of his own hubris and his unwillingness to do the work to understand it. So does Jamie Diamond. So do most of these people. You know, most of the comp- what I call now calling the compromised class, they have no incentive to look further into it. They have every incentive to block it, make it hard, do whatever it is, make it illegal, do whatever it is that they can, because if they come out and champion it, uh, then their flight logs from, you know, or the pictures on Epstein's uh, Lolita express get dumped to the New York times. They got no incentive to do anything for it's about us. We're the only ones with incentive. The, the, us plebs are lucky because we're not compromised. Remain uncompromised and see what happens. I'm going to end it with this one. Bitcoin mining in a university dorm. A cooler BTC story. Joseph Hall, coin Telegraph. The humble university dorm is a place for students taking their undergraduate degrees to study, rest, make new friends, host wild dorm parties, and of course, mine Bitcoin. A master's student in market research and self-described data guy, Blake Kaufman, has hooked up an S9 Bitcoin miner to the Bitcoin network. He won the S9 miner in a raffle at a mid-Michigan Bitcoin meetup and immediately set about learning how to use it. During a video call with Cointelegraph, Blake joked that he knew next to nothing about mining prior to the raffle. The moment he won... He raced to the nearest place, offering a power cable and an Ethernet connection to try it out, his dad's office. Quote, we turned it on, never hearing one, an S9 before. And if you know, when they start, they immediately rev up to 100% and we're all just in the room like, oh my God, this thing is loud. We ran it for probably two hours and we walked back into that office and it was hot. End quote. The hot, noisy realization kicked his brain into gear. The Michigan rider was fast, or sorry, the Michigan winter was fast approaching and his university provides free electricity. Why not mine Bitcoin from a dorm and take advantage of, you guessed it, the waste heat? There was one minor but audible hurdle to overcome. How can we fix the noise? Quote, I just looked up online like, How did noise cancel S9? And the picture of this cooler on Pinterest popped up. Me and my dad were like, let's build it, why not? So we bought a $5 cooler on Facebook Marketplace and we had the tubes in our attic and we spent about two hours drilling holes and it worked, end quote. The pair constructed the Bitcoin mining cooler box, which now takes up residence in Blake's dorm. The finished product would not look out of place in any dorm room, And it's actually quieter than the air conditioning unit, he explained. But aren't there rules against this sort of thing at a university? Won't the energy-hungry Bitcoin miner put a dent in the university's electricity overhead? Quote, so the miner is about 900 watts an hour. A mini fridge is about 60 to 100 watts a day. So it's pulling a decent amount of electricity there. I looked up all the rules and it didn't say anywhere you couldn't mine a Bitcoin or use a Bitcoin miner. So if they say you can't do this, I'd be like, okay, but you didn't say I couldn't, end quote. In a nutshell, Blake's not breaking any rules. What's more, one miner in one dorm in a large university home to thousands of students is unlikely to raise suspicions. It's an ode to the famous saying attributed to Rear Admiral Grace Hopper that sometimes, quote, it is better to ask for forgiveness than for permission, end quote. The ASIC S9 now wears away, generating roughly 0.000001 BTC, or 100 Satoshis, per Bitcoin block, which occurs on average every 10 minutes. It translates to about a dollar a day in fiat money terms. It's a paltry amount, but not to be sniffed at as a student. Blake's total outlay to start this Bitcoin mining venture was a cool box and a a few cables at less than $20 a day, and he can probably reuse the cooler come summertime. Incidentally, Blake's next challenge is to work out what to do when the weather improves and the mercury rises. Peak summer days in Michigan could hit 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius. As a result, the air outside temperature or the outside air temperature will not cool the miner, which is a vital part of the operation. Quote, so I'll have to figure out something, maybe put it in a box of ice cubes and then something like that. I don't know yet. End quote. Blake has already considered using the Bitcoin miner to heat his family home after graduation. The idea Blake explains is to experiment with whether he can offset the gas cost at home and make it profitable quote, it's just unfortunate because in Michigan, our electricity cost is 14 cents a kilowatt hour. That's actually kind of freaking high, man. Um, Hold on. I want to check something. Uh, Dude. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Electricity and heating costs are higher in Michigan than in energy producing states like Texas. Using the waste heat from Bitcoin mining could be a way of offsetting those energy costs. Indeed, Tapping into Bitcoin miner waste heat is a growing trend, particularly prevalent for at-home or, quote, chicken shack miners, as they're known. Bitcoin Gandalf from the Brain's marketing team told Cointelegraph, quote, Chicken shack miners are the backbone of the Bitcoin network hash rate. It's incredible to see all the different ways they come up with to mine. They provide an invaluable service in keeping hash rate decentralized, end quote. Armed with oodles of Bitcoin knowledge, Blake has since tried to orange pill his classmates and even professors. Unfortunately, some of them hold the belief that Bitcoin is a scam. He has taken it upon himself to set the record straight. Quote, I'm emailing those teachers being like, hey, office hours, when are they? (laughs) Let's have a chat. You You can't just come out and say Bitcoin is a scam with a Bitcoiner in the room. End quote. In the meantime, the S9 is wearing away in his dorm room, contributing to a network Blake strongly supports and generating 100% free money. Well, other than the $30,000 a year tuition I pay, but it's 100% free electricity, he joked. Well, yeah, that's true until it's not. You know, what? at what point do uh, they start charging students the electricity? And honestly, they already are. It's part of your residence. You're not paying a bill, what you're, but they, they know what it costs to have a 95% occupied dorm at a particular building that has its own Picadellos. right? Every building is a little bit different. It's like a fingerprint. They know what the average cost is per student on 95% occupancy of that building. I guarantee you that's part of your residence hall cost. Okay, just because you're not paying a monthly bill doesn't mean that you're not paying the bill. Let's be honest about this shit. Now that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, Friday, joke time. Dad says jokes. My son couldn't sleep. So I told him there are cows sleeping in the field outside. He said, what's that got to do with anything? I replied, because it's past your bedtime. Ah, ranch humor. I love it. Okay. Um, I got to I've got to admit, I found myself surprised. Can you guess at, at at what I found myself surprised about today when it came to reading some of these news stories? The FTX news. The thought of resurrecting FTX and the FTT token actually caught me by surprise. And it shouldn't have. I should have seen this coming from a mile away, and I didn't. See, what I'm getting at here is that there's never an end to this rabbit hole. You can go down this thing forever and ever and ever. And I've seen everything since 2015. I've, you know, the only thing that I really wasn't around for was a, you know, uh, a, couple of, a couple of really bad bear markets and Mt. Gox. I got in right after Mount Gox, right? I literally got in before Ethereum was launched. It was, we knew it was going to launch But I just, I didn't think anything of it. I certainly wasn't, you know, prepared to like hold these two things in my head, Bitcoin and Ethereum all at once. But that's, you know, that's where I got in. I've seen a lot of shit. And I honestly got blindsided by somebody thinking that they were going to resurrect FTX. And I feel kind of dumb. That's okay. I I say all this so that, if you're a new listener or you're, or even if you're an old listener, but you're kind of new to Bitcoin, you, all even the OGs, and I, I don't even consider myself OG. I'm, I'm like people like 2013, 2011, certainly 2009, 2010, those are the OGs. They still get shit wrong. Luke Dash Jr. lost 200 Bitcoin because he had an overinflated self of, you know, self importance of his own roll your own cold storage method and he got fucking hosed. But everybody makes mistakes. You know, it's a learning process. It's what we learned today though, is that the people that refuse, absolutely refuse to do any work whatsoever at all to understand how bitcoin works what you're likely to be able to do to it or with it and what you're not likely to be able to do to it or with it is immense that i've never seen i i've never seen this much resistance to learning about something new which always led me to the question why i mean why wouldn't you want to learn? I mean, especially if you're technologically minded or if, if you're at all curious. We've never seen anything like this before. Even if you hate it on its surface because it takes away, I don't know, what you thought you knew about the fiat monetary system. Even if, But if, if you're at the least bit curious, wouldn't you want to know? So I ask, and I ask of these people like Peter Zeihan. Why are you so ostensibly against learning about something that we've never seen before? Because we haven't. That's the thing. You can go ask Peter Zeehan, uh, what do you think about Bitcoin? Oh, I hate it. Yeah, but have you ever seen anything like it before 2009? He might come up with something, but those are easily waved away as either never coming into actual existence or wasn't actually anything like Bitcoin at all. Once they admit, and many people will finally admit, no, they haven't ever seen it. Then the next question to ask is, aren't you curious about what it is? I mean, if we've never seen something ever before, wouldn't you want to go look at it? And then there's the motivation as to why they won't. Some of these people like Jamie Dimon, I know why they won't, they're compromised. So outside of the quote-unquote compromised class, why do those people, the people that are quote-unquote uncompromised, why, why don't they wanna look at something that we've never seen before? I mean, if, if a brand new Mount Everest was dropped in the middle of Kansas, do you not think that that would people would from the whole world would descend on Kansas to come see this mountain that's just fallen on the, the Great Plains? And it just fell out of the sky and it's, it doesn't even have to be beautiful. It's just the oddity of it will spark that curiosity. There will be people from all around the world will fly to Kansas just to see it because they're curious. That's human nature. Now, this is the mountain. Bitcoin is the mountain being dropped in Kansas. Who has everything to lose from not being curious and staying away from it and not want to learn about it, not want to go see it, not want to go ogle, not want to go buy a postcard from the dirty touristy vendor shop that's across the street from this huge tourist attraction. What do they have to gain by not going to Kansas? What does the media have to gain by not representing what happened in Kansas in a light that just shines the curiosity upon it? Wow, what is this thing? We don't even have to say if it's good or bad. It's like, holy shit, a mountain just fell in the middle of Kansas. We could send a news crew. Toot sweet. Let's get out there, let's go see it. They'd be curious. Why isn't Jamie Dimon curious? Why isn't Peter Zeihan curious? I'm still curious to this day. I want to shore up the shit that I get wrong. I don't want to be surprised that FTX is going to come back as a zombie exchange with FTT as its zombie token. But I will constantly be surprised. And that will constantly fuel my curiosity to know more. Is it just because I'm not compromised? Is that how you tell who's compromised and who is not. I'll let you ponder that, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.